One of the best food scenes in the country, right here in Minnesota. And nobody knows it like magazine food critic and James Beard Award finalist, Jason DeRussia. Now bringing you the most interesting people and hottest trends. Let's listen in as DeRussia eats. When the law changed in Minneapolis and St. Paul, allowing food trucks to roll into downtown Minneapolis... I don't know if the politicians knew that they were about to unleash a revolution on the food scene in this state. It's Jason DeRussia, another episode of DeRussia Eats. Thanks for spending some time listening to some of the movers and shakers who are making a real difference in our food community. And in this episode, you'll meet some of my absolute favorite people. The woman who I believe has been one of the most influential chefs in the history of the Twin Cities, Christina Wen, she's a self-taught cook, but she's brought different flavors to this community that perhaps would not be here without her influence. She and Burke Grudem are partners in business and partners uh, in life as well. They'll share their story of falling in love at a vintage clothing shop that Christina opened. Uh, then they ended up opening up a food truck, selling an Argentinian-inspired sandwich. Ola Arepa was born. How this power couple went from a truck to two different restaurant concepts in several James Beard Award nominations. Plus, Samewadi, oh, what an incredible chef. He was the youngest and the first Palestinian-American chef to battle on Iron Chef in 2010. He opened and closed a fine-dining restaurant, Saffron. Oh, I miss Saffron so much. But while he was running Saffron, he opened a food truck, which then graduated to a brick-and-mortar restaurant called World Street Kitchen. Sami and I have a very interesting discussion about the future of dining, fine dining, counter service, and what life looks like in this, well, do we even call it post-pandemic, at least three years into a life where COVID transformed the food industry Christina, Burke, Same, three incredible chefs, younger chefs who are really changing the food scene in Minnesota. That's in this edition of the DeRussia Eats podcast. On this Valentine's Day, we wanted to bring you a love story. And this love story started in Minneapolis. It blossomed in a food truck and no one expected it would grow to two restaurants, more than 100 employees, national recognition. Boy, I hope you've been to Ola Arepa, their first restaurant, High High in Northeast Minneapolis, uh, which is just an extraordinary restaurant with a fantastic cocktail program. Burke Grudem, responsible for the cocktails. Christina Wynn has brought such incredible flavors to the Twin Cities through her talents as a self-trained chef. Christina and Burke are our guests on this love edition of DeRussia Eats. Burke and Christina, it's so great to have you guys on DeRussia Eats. Thanks for coming in. Thanks Thank, for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us here. I reached out to you because Valentine's Day, love, I mean, you two. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much us. We're just love embodied. Your story is pretty uh, amazing, I think, rising from... A food truck to a couple restaurants to a James Beard Award finalist. It's quite a story. I mean, take us back to the beginning. When did you two first meet? 
Oh boy. Um, so we first met probably, I don't know, I think we've been together for like 15 years now, but I had a little store called the Design Collective, which um, was in Uptown and sold locally designed clothing. And one day Burke happened to wander into the shop trying to pedal yeah. t-shirts that he had screen printed and designed. And I guess it was, uh, yeah, history after that. And... Was it the shirts or was it <laughs> was it the man that, that got your attention? Um, I, think it, I think it was the man. Wow. And then we yes. were... That's one take on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you buy the shirts for your store? Um, yeah, they were on consignment, so not too risky. No, right. he, he, his <laughs> shirts were great. And yeah, and then, you know, he would just like come in a lot and hang out. And since I was my only employee at that time i couldn't really leave so he had a captive audience and really just wore me down until i would go and visit him and dan oski at uh longfellow grill and i guess after that that really sealed my fate bartender was your job (laughs) yep yep were you intentionally going to flirt or were you really trying to sell your shirts you know i think it was probably a little bit of both little column a little column mainly mainly for flirting you know yeah so uh, and how how many years ago was this? It had to be close to fifteen ish yeah. years ago. Wow! Yeah, yeah. cool. That was N- a different life. <laughs> yeah. You started uh, your food career. You know, Burke. You were working in bars and restaurants. How did how did you end up starting a food truck together? So we were both pretty much ready for a change in our current space, and then. Uh, we were looking at starting a restaurant, and then, you know, we were 25, 26 at that time, so we couldn't really get funding and all of the other things that you need. So then we kind of fell in love with Arepas from uh, having traveled together, and then we were like, okay, let's, you know, Christina was like, let's start a food truck, and we were like, it's like, all right, Christina, describe Ola Arepa is what that became, and that uh, tell us what arepas are, because I think before you open this, there were arepas in the Twin Cities, but not widely known. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, so arepas are these um, delicious Venezuelan or Colombian um, cornmeal sandwiches. So you just like take some corn, you know, cornmeal dough, um, make it into a patty. You cook it on the griddle until it's nice and golden brown. You split it open like a pita and then fill it with all kinds of delicious meats and veggies and pickles and sauces. And yeah, so it's like a, even though, you know, so when we first started, you know, doing the food truck not not too many people knew what arepas were here and now hopefully they know (laughs) but um but yeah it's like it's very comforting because it's almost like a sandwich or a taco or a pita all kind of mashed together but with like really good latin flavors that everybody loves but without being tacos i guess burke your background was in uh you you really kind of rode the wave of the initial wave of mixology and being a well, instead of just a bartender, it was like, oh, it's a uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, mixology, mixology, you know, I guess, cocktails. yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, got my start, you know, kind of working at Town Talk Diner back under like Aaron Johnson and Tim Niver and Nick Kosovich, and kind of like the heyday of uh, Town Talk, which was just so much fun. And then went on to Brad Street, and then learned so much there. And then you know, now kind of taking that into our 
cocktail programs at both restaurants and trying to do, you know, refined tropical cocktails, but, you know, with a very, with an emphasis on the roots of classic cocktails and the balance that, you know, kind of was instilled in me at those two locations, at the two restaurants I was at back then. Burke Grudem and Christina Wen are our guests. They own Ola Repa and Hi Hi. And Hi Hi was sort of uh, a step to a next level, Christina, because I remember the first time I tried to convince you to do a TV story when you were at Ola Repa. And at the time, you seemed not quite comfortable with the idea of yourself getting credit or, t- or, or being worthy of credit, maybe, as a chef. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah. I feel like I had to talk you into it. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. I don't know. I mean, I used to be even shyer than I am right now, if you can imagine that. I mean, you know, because yeah. you tried to talk me into something and I was like, nah, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> you, wanted, you wanted to push it off on Burke and make Burke do the interview. I know. I mean, he's so much more comfortable in front of cameras and talking. And um, But then I realized that Burke was not the chef and I was not comfortable with him taking credit for that. So I was like, wait a minute. I don't, but I don't know. It's, you know, all the imposter syndrome of not having, um, you know, gone to, I don't know, to culinary school to learn how to be a chef or not have to work in any restaurants. Yeah, you're not a classically trained, but yet I still, you know, and I've told you this before in person and I've written it and I'll say it again. You, to me, uh, well, first of all, you for sure should have a James Beard Award. You have introduced flavors to a large audience in the Twin Cities with both of your restaurants that people would not have familiarity with. I mean, I think that's not only innovative, but excellent. Well, it's because of you. That's very nice of you <laughs> to yeah. say that. We wouldn't have. I mean, maybe someone else would have, but but you did it. I mean... Just take the compliment. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll just take it. <laughs> Thank you. Those are very kind words. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that it was totally unexpected to ever get, like, James Beard nominated, honestly. We just want to make, like, good food that moves people and excites them and try to introduce them to some flavors that we love. And High High was a step forward for you as a, as a chef, do you think? More personal? I think that just because I was becoming more comfortable with, um, you know, owning a restaurant at that point and getting more confident in my food and, uh, you know, going from not having any kitchen to having a tiny food truck kitchen to, you know, Ola, which was like a full-size restaurant. I think, you know, after that, I was like, all right, I feel like a little more comfortable to make like a very personal menu and... Um, that, you know, comes a lot from, like, my upbringing, our travels together. Um, I think that a lot of, you know, not starting with Vietnamese food or Southeast Asian food in the first place was because I was just kind of scared of the critics of, (laughs) you know, I just knew there would be a lot of critiques of, like, oh, Christina's Vietnamese food isn't Vietnamese enough, and, you know, what what does she have to add to that conversation? And I think it took, like, you know, it took a little confidence building and did you and, did you feel some of that as as a Vietnamese woman that you weren't Vietnamese enough? Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, never will be because you know I'm like born here and self taught, and you know my mom like 
even though she taught me like some of the cooking basics, like the food that I'm making isn't even, you know, it's not like passed down from generations like through my family. You know, I know that that's like a story that is often told, but it's not my story. And a lot of it is kind of like, this is my interpretation of food, of, you know, Vietnamese food, of Southeast Asian food. Mm. And, um, it's interesting. Yeah. Burke, it must be interesting for you to watch Christina. I mean, you have the freedom as a, as a bar a manager and a cocktail creator mm-hmm. to do whatever you want. Yep. But for Christina, it's a conversation with culture and heritage and history and who we are as a people and who we want to be. And there's a lot going on there. Yeah, yeah. She definitely, you know, makes sure that she's like focused and stays like constrained and kind of, you know, makes sure that like the the kitchens are always operating with a good vision and good, you know, good execution and basically trying to stay focused on like the vision of, you know, serving Southeast Asian food and, and really trying to, you know, focus on that. But in today's context and in your context, what's important for you to communicate? It doesn't have to be like grandma's recipe. It can right. be whatever yeah. moves you and whatever you Absolutely. think your guests will like, right? Yeah. And, you know, it took me so many years to come around to understanding that you can have that voice and just say, like, hey, this is not going to be authentic. This is not going to be your mom's cooking or your grandma's mm. cooking. This is not even going to be my mom's or grandma's cooking. It's just going to be, you know, my interpretation as in a Vietnamese-American person and who is Midwestern, who you know, also grew up eating, you know, Hot Pockets and stuff like that. I right. don't know. Tater <laughs> so Tot Hot a, Dish a was bit, maybe yeah, a part of your upbringing. Yeah. Sadly, well, actually not sadly, but it wasn't really. I still mm. like, I don't know, hadn't no. had a hot dish until like maybe five years ago or something, oh, funny. which which is fine. That's it is okay. fine. It's <laughs> fine. Okay. I know. I know. I mean, but... I hate to not be the man of the people here, but let's be honest. Oh, my gosh. It's please, fine. nobody hate on me because no, I said it, that. That's, <laughs> you're, I, think, I think that honesty, people will appreciate. We uh, are so glad to have Burke Grudem, Christina Wen with us here under Russia Eats. When we come back, I want to learn what it's like to work together as a couple, how you how you spend so much time together and still love each other outside of work. How does that go? They're both making expressions at each other like, oh, gosh. <laughs> yes, we're looking for your your advice about that stuff. And uh, your favorite restaurants that are not your own. So we'll ask you that. Yeah, that's right. Think about it. Uh-oh. Think about it. Derusha Eats continues in just a moment here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Derush Eats continues. Our guests today own Hi Hi and Ola Arepa, Burke Grudem, and Christina Wen. How do you two, I mean, you've, you've known each other for 15 years. What is it like working together as a couple? So I think in general, you know, when we first started the restaurants, and it, it's a little bit different now, but it actually was probably the thing that would keep our relationship together just because when you're starting a restaurant, you have to spend so much time there. And it's such a commitment that if either one of us were starting that on our own, we would probably never see each other. Um, And, you know, throughout the years, we've just always worked together really well. We kind of just, you know, divide and conquer in a lot of respects. You know, obviously, Christina takes care of all the everything with the kitchens and everything like that. I kind of handle more of uh, 
overseeing the front of house and bar programs. Um, obviously, we have an amazing management team at both places these days. Um, and then we kind of both tackle like all of the bigger items like uh, the financials and all of like the really boring Excel spreadsheet stuff and everything like that. Who, who, uh, who wins when you fight, Christina? Or do you oh, never gosh. fight? I mean, <laughs> there are certainly sometimes arguments and debates. Um, it just depends. Whoever, whoever is more right <laughs> wins. And that happens to be me a lot of the time. I don't know. I she, mean, I'm she, really good at wearing him down. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, no, I don't know. Burke is nodding. Is it true? <laughs> is she is she right more often than not? Um, yes. I, I think yeah. she's right most of the time. You it's know. frustrating, isn't it? My yeah. wife is right most of the time yeah. also. It does get frustrating, but, you know. Yeah. What it, are it you going to do? It must yeah. be hard to be so wrong all the time. <laughs> yes. It's actually fine. Like, I'm fine with it. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. yeah. I'll put up a fight for a bit. Yeah. Less responsibility because then, you know. Yeah. You're the smart one, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's fine. <laughs> it works out all right. Uh, have there been, you know, moments where you're like, we just need, like, we can't drive in the car home together? Like, Frank and Amelia... Back when I was at TV, they drove to work separately. Really? Which people thought was weird, but I thought was smart. Like, you mm-hmm. need some time. When you work together with someone, you need right. some time to yourself still. Yep. Um, I guess with, you know, with us kind of, like, focusing on different parts of the restaurant uh, operations, I think we still get a decent amount of time, like, away from each other. And then mm. we really try and just have, like, very... We don't necessarily have, like, a safe word, but we try and have a very, like, clear boundary (laughs) of, like, okay, if we're going to go out, you know, or, like, when we get home, we're going to stop talking about restaurant stuff, you know, at X point. I think that's worked, like, 0% of the time until we're, like, okay, no, we really got to stop talking about this now. But Biggest thing you guys have learned about each other from working together Christina, what what have you learned about Burke? Oh, the biggest thing I've learned about strengths, Burke? weaknesses that you found from working with him. Um, I mean, I think that Burke's an amazing person. He, um, I don't know. I mean, he he enables a lot of, um, I don't know, a lot of of what I do and like how how I work and exist. And I don't know. I'm just really happy that we're you know partners in life and business together. He's really good at fixing stuff. That's awesome. I mean, you're you're fantastic. You know like all these things that I could never really have the capacity to remember and learn. So, I'm super grateful for that and I don't know. Your and your even temperedness and all that good stuff. I can only say nice things <laughs> on the radio. On the radio. Yeah. <laughs> Burke, are there things like way uh, way Ways you see Christina because you work together that maybe you wouldn't you wouldn't see each other exactly the same way if like you worked at a bank and she worked at you know the trash facility or something. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Um, I would say you know just being able to see her be like a really she's a really strong leader and um, very you know when she sets her mind to something she'll just get it done and knock it out and so just her work ethic alone um, and her being able to like lead her team and kind of keep them focused and kind of be able to like drive them. And then just the constant 
you know, she's always looking for other projects and looking for different things to do. And then, you know, when she basically, in essence, when she sets her mind to something, she will stay committed to it. And, you know, where I might, you know, kind of check out for the day and, you know, want to watch TV or go to bed, she'll like sit on her computer for like till two in the morning, you know, working on a project mm. or sending emails or you know yeah this is is this the weakness category because <laughs> <laughs> i know that drives him crazy he's yeah. like well i'm gonna be done for the day looks like you're just gonna do this <laughs> it's hard to walk away from work when sometimes yeah. yeah yeah what do you have goals of opening more restaurants you have two right now um i think that's kind of to be determined i mean right now at the moment um nothing Nothing in the works just because, um, yeah, I mean, after the pandemic, it's just like all about getting the restaurants like back up to, you know, the the place where they were at before operationally. Which... Is, it, is service the biggest challenge right now or is it execution in the kitchen or of the cocktails? What's the what's where are things where you say like, mm, not quite sure if we're back to where we were? I mean, you know, just because of um, just because of the nature of the pandemic and there being like turnover, you know, there of was, course, like, yeah. of course, like some new staff um, that, you know, that has been getting trained in over the past, like, you know, it's, it's, years, it's no, that, no so. shade on the people, I yeah. don't think. But it is the reality of almost right. every restaurant exactly. has had pretty major turnover. Yeah. And, you know, again, on, like on our end, too, just on the backside, like trying to figure it out to like make everything work because everything's just more expensive. So it's like, mm. you know, just, how do you make the numbers? Work? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but, Burke yeah. front of the house. That's what you deal with. I get the most complaints right now from people. Uh, it's about service. Yep. Yep. That they don't feel is taken care of and, and you know. Yeah. I think to a certain degree people are right with that criticism. I've, I've felt it when I go out. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think our teams are great right now and everything. Um, and we're really happy with where we're at. But it's it's one of those things where it's just with the turnover, with the, you know, just the fluctuations in business as well mm-hmm. where, you know, okay, you can have – Especially in Minnesota with weather, you know, you can have one Tuesday that's a snowstorm oh, and then all of yeah. a sudden you have to like cut a bunch of labor and then you can have the next Tuesday be sunny and 40 and then, okay, you might have staffed and you might be understaffed by two people and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's hustling more and then they can't, you know, keep up as well as just... You sort of don't know like what the diner is going to do. Are they going to show up? Are they not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that makes it hard to run a run a business for sure. Yeah. So and, and, you know, even pre-pandemic, we were way more just like, I think we had, you know, 30% of our restaurant designated for reservations, and it was like a lot more walk-ins at both places. And now we're almost like 80 to 90% reservations Reservation. just because wow. we just find that the majority of people like won't come out to your restaurant unless they have a reservation and they know, okay, I can get in at 8.15 or 7.30 on that Friday night. and So interesting. What a yeah. change, right? Yeah. Christina yeah. Wen, Burke Grudem, our guest. Favorite restaurants for you two to go to that you don't own? What are some of your favorites to go to, Christina? 
Oh, boy. I mean, I think that a lot of that depends on what kind of mood we're in. If it's like a takeout night or something, then, you know, definitely uh, doing some Pho 79. Shout out to Sesame Chicken, the best dish in (laughs) Minneapolis. I swear that every time that we like go out of town and come back, that's probably the first thing that we're eating. Um, (laughs) Right. Uh, I don't know. Rainbow Chinese, also amazing. Tammy Wong is is the is the queen and the rice cakes there which i feel like is an often slept on dish they are the best the Mm. best thing ever nice um so so good and yeah we got to eat some nice uh um new year lunar new year food there and start out the year right so awesome um i love that so i'm just thinking of things off my mind that we've eaten recently. I don't know. Burke, Burke, any favorite bars or what are, what are the cocktail programs you love? Um, these days I'm really loving all saints. Um, love their, you know, cocktail program. I think their service is knocking it out of the park. Their food's great. Um, and then Mr. Kim Paul's Tong, just oh, a great. Yeah. Oh yeah. All yeah. those vegetables, man. They're just like really killing it That's on good. the execution. Everything's perfectly seasoned. And yeah. Mr. Paul's. Yeah. Mr. Paul's, you know, so it's good. it's like being back home at Town Talk back, you know, back in the day, back in the day with Nick and Tommy there and just the riot that it is when they're around. And it's yeah. just so much fun. And it's where I fell in love yeah. with cocktails yeah. was that Town Talk back in the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It brings it back. You guys are doing great work. It's been so fun to watch the growth. And uh, I know there are only great things for you both in the future. So happy Valentine's Aww, Day. Thank you. Thank you. Happy <laughs> Valentine's Day <laughs> yeah. to you as well. Christina Wen, Berkram, thanks for being with us on Russia Eats. Russia Eats continues. Here's your host, Jason Russia. Russia Eats today sponsored by Liquor Boy. And I'm so glad to have Sameh Wadi from World Street Kitchen, uh, Milk Jam Creamery, uh, one of my favorite... Uh, food people. Can I say one of my favorite people in the Twin City? Oh, that's too kind. Thanks yeah. for having me. Now I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> uh, it's great to have you here. How uh, how are you? How are your restaurants doing? Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I'm doing terrible. Yeah, um, you look awful. Yeah, thank you. It's I, good we're on the radio. I uh, uh, yeah, you, it, it, I'm, I'm here because <laughs> I look awful. <laughs> They're like, there's nothing better for me to do than talk to you today. So oh, good. you know, yeah. W- have we started? Is this? No, this is no, not on. This is not. <laughs> we'll we'll edit all of this out from the podcast. That's excellent. So, yeah. Now I am. We're live. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, World Street Kitchen. It's doing good. You know, we've had a very difficult first of the year with all of this weather. People don't want to eat ice cream at Milk Jam. Weird. In the, in the in the snow, which is something that is kind of terrifying. Like Minnesota, I thought you were harder than this, right? Milk Jam Creamery opened in the winter. In January, seven years ago. And so... You- I'm not very smart, yes. We've already established <laughs> that much. <laughs> I think you are very smart in a... In a- well, I'll I'll say this. So earlier we were talking to Brad, who's our boss here, about you. And he got really sad about the fact that Saffron is gone. And that was your restaurant. You opened Saffron when you were? 23 years old. 23 years old. Yep. I was a baby. I wasn't even allowed to vote yet. Saffron. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's all. <laughs> Might be true at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a different time. It was a whole different, yeah. You, I think, opened that restaurant. Or do you think you were ahead of your time? I feel like every single move that I've done in my culinary career has been ahead of its time. Saffron, and, you, and you don't mean that in a braggadocious way. No, I mean I mean it like I'm not very smart. Like, bad at business. Yeah, I'm bad at business. If yeah. I was really good at business, you know, I would I would open Saffron right now. Or even a restaurant like World Street Kitchen was also ahead of its time. Uh, but Saffron, that was a special, special place. I, I, I talk to people all the time that say bring that place back, but you know, would you? So saffron for people who don't know was, uh, I don't know. You you could say it it was a Mediterranean style yeah. restaurant. Yeah. But right, uh, right near, not too far from Target Center, uh, by one twelve. Yeah, and we did. So it was Mediterranean food with heavy influences from the Middle East and North Africa. It was sort of like my culinary heritage, if you will, coming from the Middle East myself, being Palestinian, and so that food really, really played into that culinary heritage. And so that lasted for about ten years. Ten right? years, yeah, yeah, yeah. From two thousand seven is when that opened. It did. I, when I think of there are two restaurants that I miss the most. The strip club in St. Paul, not a strip club, but the meat and fish restaurant, and Saffron. Um, That's very special to hear. But I think you're, yeah, uh, when Alyssa and I think about like where we want to go out, and I, I think it was, part of it was the environment, part of it was the staff and the people, you know, uh, your brother was. He was okay. You, I mean, he was, he was fine. All right. <laughs> Your brother was often there. He was. Um, it just was a special place. And the food was, it, it's very interesting if you travel the country, the great food cities in the country, most of them have a restaurant that's sort of trying to do what you were doing in 2007. Yes. Yeah, yes. which is interesting. Super ahead of its time. Now, today... I actually think you're smart to not open a restaurant like that because I don't know if that's what people want to eat right now. I think they still want to eat it, but I, I still I still think that like when I think of like the future of food, when I think of myself and what I crave is what I what food I want to cook. Mm. And that's more in line with what like World Street is doing to me personally. World Street like, was a food truck at first. Yes. And then we opened up the brick and mortar about 10 years ago. And I can't believe that that restaurant is 10 years old. Yeah. I mean, and again, like we were the first, like one of the first counter service restaurants. We were one of the first food trucks. We're always ahead of the curve in terms of what things yeah. are, are happening. And, and to me, like cooking without borders and the ability to kind of just mix and match and, and do it in a way that is approachable and accessible to a lot of people is what brings me joy right now in terms of the cooking styles. Sami Wadi owns World Street Kitchen, Milk Jam Creamery, the ice cream store right next uh Right next door to World Street Kitchen on Lindale, what what food item do you think it was that really uh, made World Street kind of break through? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say it's either the rice bowl or the burrito, the Bangkok burrito or the yum yum rice bowl. And that's what you mean by like crossing cultures, crossing and, cultures. Yeah. Yep, taking um, sort of Middle Eastern flavors, Southeast Asian flavors, Korean. Uh, some Mexican influence and just kind of mishmashing everything together and really cooking without seeing like borders in terms of countries, but looking at food traditions as more of a nomadic eye. And that mm -hmm. was kind of like 
what my approach to food was when when I opened that stuff. So yeah. how do you how do you kind of mesh that worldview, like what you're doing at World Street Kitchen, with another conversation that happens often in the food world about like appropriating other people's cultures? So like if I opened a Mexican restaurant, some people would say, "Come on, like we can't have this white guy." opening a taco shop. I think it's a very interesting conversation to have, and it's a very limiting conversation. That tells me, as a Palestinian-American, that I'm only allowed to cook Palestinian food. Which would be a... A travesty. It would be. It would be a travesty. We wouldn't have Bangkok burritos. We wouldn't have yum-yum rice bowls. Right. If I wasn't allowed to play with... Yeah. Food and 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 well, and cultures. I don't I don't want to tell Jorge Guzman that he can't do French cooking. Or Correct, he can't do like you know because he his heritage is Mexican. Yeah, like, I on. think where appropriation becomes an issue is that if you take something and you call it your own, hmm. it's something that's happening to Palestinian food right now where it's being appropriated by because a different of, group of people because it's become. Israeli, so it's you know, not. so now it's become something other than Palestinian. So when we're talking, when we're mm-hmm. having these kind of give me an example. What's an example of a kind? I of- mean, <clears throat> anything that you would see in today's like modern Israeli restaurant right. has Palestinian roots in it. Hmm. So uh, the most basic example, hummus. Right. That's the Arabic word for chickpea. Um, and so it's become synonymous with Israeli food. Israeli food, yeah. and it's not being talked about as a Palestinian dish. Interesting right? to me, that's more appropriating than it is saying, "Okay, this is an Arab dish or a Palestinian dish that we now take." You know, we take pride in, which I think is another thing that, like, uh, you know, when we're talking about like French Vietnamese fusion, yeah, you know, there is a lot of that. You know, kind of the Vietnamese took some influence from. The French and they right. have it in just their based food. on the geography, based on the, who b- was, yeah, based on like conquering who was conquering, just, yeah, who was yeah, there exactly. at the time. Which that's part of how the world evolves, right? So yep. that's how flavors get transported, exactly. And you can't really say this dish is from this region because people were nomadic, yeah. right? So people changed. But well, it's putting, like Hmong food, right? Like right. what is it? How what, is it Lao? Is, is it, it Chinese? Is it Thai? Is it a combination of all of those things? And to me, that's putting those labels on things mm-hmm. is where. Kind of it gets a little bit dicey. Yeah. That's why I like cooking without borders. I like that. It's inter- It's very interesting because I'm sensitive, and we're talking with Same Wadi, the uh, owner of World Street Kitchen, Milk Jam Creamery, um, because I think it does matter in the idea of like stealing something from other people's culture, especially if you're like in a dominant culture, when you steal something from a culture that here in the United States is more marginalized. Like to me, that feels icky. I would agree with you 100%. Like, I wouldn't say a taco is Middle Eastern. A taco, you know? I feel like tacos today belong to no one right. and everyone, <laughs> right? Like, every culture makes well, tacos. As, like, if, if, you're, if you're, like, digging down deep into it, like, uh, Al Pastor was inspired by Middle Eastern immigrants in Mexico. And mm. so is it Middle Eastern or yeah. is it Mexican or is it both? And does I mean, it matter? tacos arabes also. Does it matter? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it, it does. To some, some people, it, does. it definitely does. To yeah. others, it's, hey, this is delicious and I can't wait to stuff my face with it. <laughs> right. Right? Right. And I, I fall on, you know, both ends of the equation and I try to be cognizant of that. And I try to remind people that food brings joy and brings people together. And that's what I want to focus on. Yeah. Samewadi, World Street Kitchen, Milk Jam Creamery. We're going to take a break. I want to talk about 
what your future hopes or dreams are. You said no more, no, Saffron's not coming back. I don't think so. Stop asking. <laughs> Although if someone wants to pay unless, you enough money. Yes, yeah, unless I there's mean, somebody with deep right, pockets and, and, uh, <laughs> and a lot of broken hopes and dreams and yeah, holler at me. Right, right. <laughs> um, but World Street Kitchen, could you see more of these? And what are some of Sami Wadi's favorite places to go to in the Twin Cities that are not his own restaurants? We'll talk about that. Oh, plus it's National Pizza Day, so I need your, your top pizza choice. A lot of assignments for Same. We'll be right back on Derusha Eats here on CCO. Same Wadi with us. World Street Kitchen on Lindale. Uh, near Uptown. Do you guys say you're near Uptown? No, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is amazing. I mean, during the pandemic, you guys, I think one of my favorite things about your takeout experience is that you could order and 10 minutes later it would be ready which most restaurants were not ready to rock the way you guys were during the pandemic. Yeah, that was like one of our, I think that was one of our saving graces during yeah. the pandy. It right. was just, I mean, when we're still kind of the same way, we still have a pretty crazy staff to just keep up with orders in a fast fashion. But as much as people say that downtown was changed because of crime and because of protest, I believe that the neighborhood that suffered the most because... And again, you know, George Floyd suffered the most. So, like, we all keep this in perspective. But uh, what happened to Uptown was largely driven by the fact that people destroyed parts of Uptown in protests that got way out of control. Yeah. And and you were dealing with vandalism and windows breaking and lawlessness. Uh, even down, you're not in the thick of that uptown area, but you, you guys had to deal with that too, right? We sure did. And, you know, it's, it's hard to think that it's been three years yeah. since this has happened, and it's hard to see how slowly things are moving. But we keep a positive uh, outlook on it. We, we're excited about the neighborhood and where things are going, and we're kind of trying to stay um, kind of a, a little bit of a shining beam in there, mm -hmm. trying to do cool and fun things that just gets people back in and and it's yeah it's it's going to be you know it's going to be interesting to see there's rumors of restaurants opening around us and so on and so forth so that's going to be kind of exciting to yeah. get some fresh blood in there Sami Wadi you're you're uh, we kind of jumped right into it and I didn't ask you to tell a little bit about your story of how you ended up in food it was because of prison. Like when I was in prison. No, I'm totally joking. <laughs> I was never in prison. This I, got, I have to stop making this joke. I know people what, believe it. People like, do well, believe this it. Palestinian <laughs> guy probably was. Yeah. He definitely was. Look at his beard. He was definitely in prison. Uh, I brushed my beard before I came here. It looks here. very nice. And you haven't said anything, which I feel like yeah, really I'm bad. Sorry. Anyways, um, you'll see it on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, it looks very very nice. You grew up around a, a, a family. Uh, your broader family was involved in food. Yeah, we I, we moved to the United States. Uh, my family started moving here in the late 80s, started uh, grocery stores and, and food businesses. Um, and then I moved here in 97, and me and my brother Sad opened up our first restaurant uh, just, you know, 10 years later. And you had some success in uh, national TV. Yeah, something, I think it was called Iron Chef. I don't know if you've ever heard of the show. a lot of people may have heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went up against uh, a, a small guy. His name is Masaharu Morimoto. Morimoto, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if yeah. you know that guy. But and at the time, you were how old? 
I was I was twelve, or at least I felt like <laughs> you it. Look, yeah, I yeah. looked twelve. Yeah, like if I watched that episode, I just go, "Who's this kid?" And he couldn't even grow a full beard at the right. time, you yeah. know. Um, uh, but actually, I did. I did have a beard, uh, but I had full head of hair, which was lot, also yeah, weird. Happened? You know what happened? <laughs> I don't know. I was twenty four years old when that happened. Yeah. And, uh, you know, World Street Kitchen and Milk Jam came after Saffron. And, and right now I just love spending my time creating ice creams. That's like my favorite thing to do. Are you surprised that that, that, that kind of excites you or fills your cup? Very, very much so. Because when you think about it, I went from, you know, fine dining to food truck to like counter service and ice cream just is like the most logical next progression. <laughs> you just keep yeah, stepping down. Going, right, right. <laughs> you just keep stepping down or up in a way. And it's, it's just really great coming up with like new flavors of ice cream and things that just bring people pure joy. It is pure joy. What are your favorite, like your favorite flavors? Okay. Like right now, right now we have our, you know, chocolate slash valentine's day flavors and they're all chocolate based which i'm not a huge chocolate fan i know sumi but um the white chocolate uh, ice cream with the raspberry rose jam it's is i killer. love you i heart I love, you i heart yes. you yeah. that one is killer okay and then there's a uh chocolate uh with uh like uh a caramel mm. and peanuts in it. Ooh. After we made it and we ate it, we're like, oh, we just made a Snickers bar <laughs> into oh, an ice awesome. cream. And that's super killer. Adore um, you, that's yep, called. Yep. Nice. And then the third one that I am totally obsessed with is True Love. And that one is just chocolate freckled with some more chocolate and some almonds. Is it different to create an ice cream flavor uh, as compared to creating like the perfect savory dish or are the principles sort of the same? It kind of what I think about when I'm creating ice cream, I think about a singular bite because most people come, they take one single tiny little spoonful in terms of a sample. And that's how they base this five dollar purchase on. Is tiny little sample of that food. one bite. That one bite. So, so that's I have your to chance. make it delicious. Pack as much flavor into it as I can into that one small little bite. Huh? Because that's your only chance. That's, that's it. Your shot. Otherwise, they go. Eh. Eh. What ice cream wasn't even good. Huh. <laughs> so interesting, isn't it? Milk jam. I will say, like to me, it's sort of amazing how much money people are willing to spend for ice cream. Because what's a pint of ice cream cost? I say eleven dollars. Eleven dollars, and yeah. obviously we know like ingredient costs have gone up and up. Insane. And up. The price, uh, your price, hasn't actually gone up. It commensurate to what ingredients? No, are. no. Our our costs in the seven years that we've been up have been over thirty yeah. percent, maybe forty percent on just ingredients. And I think we just had our first ten percent increase. Your first price increase yeah. in seven years. Why do, why do you think, you know, when you first opened, were you worried? Like, gosh, is someone going to pay five bucks for this? Or I was. I was always worried. You know, I tend to devalue my food a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was always worried that, you know, it's ice cream. It should be simple. But then once you get into it and realize to make a good product, you have to use good ingredients and not really, yeah. you know, cheap out on the mix-ins and things of that nature. And that was really important to kind of stick to it. And now we get to do things like doing we're right now we're doing a um like a build your own Sunday kit for Valentine's Day. And when we first started doing it, you know, 100 years ago, it was like 25 bucks, 30 bucks, and right now it's like about 40 bucks. And that's 
where like packaging and, and stuff costs. Yeah, it's what things cost. Yeah. Eggs, you know, we don't want to talk about how much no, eggs we cost. Don't. No, you know, and but breaks my heart. Milkjamcreamery.com is where you can order those flavors. You can order online. Get that kit as well. Uh, are you going to open more milk jams? I want to. I think people would respond. I want to. Right now, one of my like long-term goals is trying to figure out what the next iteration of World Street Kitchen looks mm. like. What is that? How does that? You have both you know, concepts evolve? in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what is the next you know evolution of World Street Kitchen? Maple Grove would love this. I, you know, I I went to Maple Grove the other day for the first time in twenty some years that I've been here, and you live in a pretty amazing area. There's a lot. There's so much yeah. happening there. I was sleeping on your, I was making fun of where you live and, and cool. my God, I was so wrong. You know, you used to be this cool 25-year-old with cool. a restaurant, <laughs> fine dining restaurant, and now you're waxing poetic about suburban Maple Grove. Uh, it happens. It's amazing. All right, we're out of time, but give me your top three restaurants in town. Oh, my God. Okay, so first uh, 79, hands down, my favorite restaurant in the Twin Cities. Uh, well done brisket for the best. Uh, I would say Caspian uh, for their kebabs. Uh, and then Culver's in Golden Valley. <laughs> is that is that fair to say? It's a legit. Oh, the, the, the Golden Valley one. Only like, the Golden Valley only, one. Yeah, 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 that one. They're, they, the got staff, it. they got it they got on it. lock. Yeah. Caspian was, is uh, close to the U of M. Yes. Fantastic. Amazing. I went there on your recommendation. Same, thank you. Thank you for having me. Same, Wadi, our guest on DeRussia Eats. Thanks so much for listening to the DeRussia Eats podcast. On WCCO Radio, 830 AM, we do conversations with chefs, with farmers, with small business people every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. The podcast is available every week. If you enjoyed what you heard, I would love for you to leave us a review. Give us however many stars you can. I don't know, 10, 20 stars would be nice, five stars, and leave your feedback as well. It really helps us grow and helps support covering the food community here at WCCO Radio and in the DeRussia Eats podcast. If you'd like to email me with an idea or a question about the restaurant scene, you can email jason at odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com, jason at odyssey dot com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the DeRussia Eats podcast. Thanks for listening to DeRussia Eats. Dan Cook is our producer. Jason DeRussia is your host. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. DeRussia Eats is a production of Odyssey.